Welcome to the Inner Huddle, the podcast for parents and coaches to help children fulfill their potential both on and off the pitch. Hello and welcome along to Series 2 of the Inner Huddle, Episode 10. I'm Pez, he's Jeff, and together we are Pez and Jeff, and we are the hosts of your favourite football podcast, or we hope it's your favourite, don't we Jeff? Yeah, it's got to be up there in your top <laughs> ten at least. It goes Peter Crouch, <laughs> the inner huddle, does it? I think yeah. in most people's uh, back catalogue of uh, what they listen to. Anyway, it's the final episode of Series 2, Jeff. How do you feel about that? Don't be honest, lie, so you're going. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm really, really sorry it's coming to an end, Series well, 2. Well, you know, Christmas is coming, busy period, and then... It'll be a new year before we know it, and um, well, then we'll get stuck into Series 3, which we might do a slightly different format, maybe throw in the occasional ones with the 10 questions, which actually we were doing so long, reduced to about eight, didn't they, as we went along. Um, but we'll try and get a few more guests on and things like that. So if but anyone does want to come on as a guest, rather in person, but can do via Zoom, then uh, get in touch with us. This is a very special episode there, episode 10 series two because why thank you jeff well yes uh, regular listeners will know that it's been a standing joke about my book that i've been writing for about 10 years um well i finally picked it up and it's out and available and we have a copy in front of us don't we should we fold them up for the camera for those oh, yeah. who watching on youtube it's out how do you feel about that, Jeff? Yeah, very excited for you and already seeing some nice feedback on social media. I've just been scrolling through my phone for two minutes and seen two different posts um, saying how amazing you are, really. No, not me, the book. Well, it's different. It's your work in the well, book. Well, I suppose it's my, well, yeah, well, yeah, don't, it is Don't be my modest. Work. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. Well, no, it's always, always very nice. I'm looking at the camera that we're filming on there and it looks like it's turned just onto you, Jeff. So, actually uh, looks like it's on you at the moment from my angle does it do you think it's all right it's in do you think i should go and check it go on, eh? it's not very professional though is it no you can keep talking i'll go and check it you go and check it while i keep talking so oh. the book is called did you win did you score how to help your child succeed at football and life um so it is a book which is mainly about football but the more i wrote um, and the more I've been doing coaching for 20 plus years, I've realized I'm actually more interested um, and more passionate about children's personal development and their life development and developing life skills and becoming good people than I am actually with football. But um, I only know about football, so the book had to be based on football, really. But it's... Um, it's taken many, many years, but it's finally here. So we thought today what we would do is there are 150 chapters. Jeffrey's got a random number generator in his phone from 1 to 150. And we're just going to push the button and whatever chapter comes up, we're going to have a little read. We're not going to read the whole thing because that would be boring. I don't think if we ever do an audio version of it, I'll be doing it. I don't know if you fancy that, Jeff. <laughs> it'll take a long time to get take longer to write it <laughs> um but yeah so we'll we'll probably just read out some of the quotes that are in it um there's some bold text in it of, of the bits that i really think that people should um and need to take away from the chapters and maybe we'll have a little chat about it and see where we go so it's completely random 
completely different to anything else we've ever done. Um, and I wrote it, so I should be able to remember some of the stuff that's in it. But it's um, it's quite a hefty old book, isn't it, mate? Yeah, can I just say before we get started as well, I am an audio book person, not a reader. I'm not a great reader, am I? No. Um, but this is so easy to use um, and very Jeff-friendly, so thank you. Yeah, well, the, the idea behind it was it's not just designed to be read cover to cover. Some will. But the idea is to look through the 150 chapter list at the front and go... I don't know, let's take um, chapter 29, Avoid Chasing the Dream. Go, oh, gee whiz, maybe I'm doing that. And then you turn to wherever it is and you'd look at it or it might say match scripts. You think, oh, that sounds interesting. We'll go to that one. Um, does size matter? Think, oh, well, my lad's only small or he's very large. Let's have a look at that one. So whatever is relevant to um, to your child and you as a family, you what resonates with you or you think is interesting you go to that so it's more of a reference book as well as a cover to cover book but the, the chapters are quite short some of them are obviously a lot longer than others things like the children's rights ones that I've got up here is quite in depth and extensive it was the hardest chapter in the whole book to write by the way because it's something that you've got to get right so I hope that doesn't come <laughs> up on the number generator keep our fingers crossed a, for a short, a short chapter um, and I didn't want this to be an advert but um, it is available on uh, online at the Great British Bookshop. And if you type in my name, Perry Cocking, or Did You Win, Did You Score, you should find it. It is also available on Amazon, um, but they don't stock it. So you have to scroll down to where it says um, other selling options on Amazon or other Amazon options, something like that. And you click on that and you'll find it with um, uh, a decent delivery time. Whereas Amazon are putting months on it because they think, oh, we might stock it one day. Um, but aren't at the moment. So that's a top tip for you, but it's the Great British Bookshop is where everyone else seems to be buying it from. Including me, because I bought <laughs> my own coffee, which I had a laugh about earlier, didn't we? But yes. anyway, <clears throat> right, should we get cracking, Jeffrey? Yeah, ready for randomise? Yeah, I'm a bit nervous, Jeff, I'm not going to lie. I don't like this sort of stuff. Little drum roll? Uh, yeah, go on then. 61. 61. Let's have a look through. <laughs> I didn't think this through, did we, Jeff? Right, 61. Right, oh, good. Why do children play football is the chapter header. Um, and we have a quote here. It's the child's desire to play that matters, not the parent's desire to have the child play. And that is from Tiger Woods. He did um, play a lot of football growing up, didn't he? He played a <laughs> lot of football, yes. Actually, Tiger Woods' story for a parent is very interesting because he was pushed and pushed and pushed right to his limit um he even had a safe word that um he could say to um so his dad would stop pushing him so hard and he never once said it so he used to shout out the most awful things at him when he was going to part and um you know just about to tee off and things and it's just real it must be the exception to the rule then perhaps. yeah well he now tiger reflects back he says, yes, that is possibly the reason I got to the heights I did, but it's damaged him for life. So all the problems he's had in his personal life, he puts back to being pushed, um, and yet all the good things about being pushed. So it's a double-edged sword there. Um, and I don't know, you'd have to ask him, would he do it all again? I'm not sure he would, even for the heights that he achieved. I think he would have rather been an average golfer with a steady career and a, a much better personal life than you have without the problems but there we go you're right it's a football book <laughs> so let's crack on so i just read the opening chapter 
paragraph, sorry. Not yeah, chapter. do the opening <laughs> chapter, Pez. <laughs> yeah, that's the idea, Pez. <laughs> right, I'll read the opening paragraph. Right. A lot of parents and coaches never actually find out why their children um, or ch- child... Blah, 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 I'm good at this, aren't they? Mm. Start again. A lot of parents and coaches never actually find out why their children or children they are looking after actually play the sport. It should be the fundamental starting point for everyone. A great way to aid the whole football journey is to ask your child to list the reasons why they play or give them options to choose from. I used to do this with teams I coached. You can take some ideas from my examples below. You mustn't influence them in any way or try to make changes. There are no wrong answers or choices. It's their choice, their motivation, and therefore is correct to them. Goodness, supposed to be a little uh, little teaser there. Um, thoughts? So, yeah, just what, what are the kind of things that children tend to say are the reasons they play? Right, well, shall I try and find them? Um, I'll read a bit more. So I'm missing out a few paragraphs here, but... I did this most recently with an under sevens team I was running. I had a list of 10 reasons why children play football and I asked them to pick their own top five reasons. I then asked them to rank those in order from one to five. The 10 options were to score lots of goals, to win matches, to have fun, to make new friends, to learn new things, to win trophies, to be the best player, to be a better player, to be a professional and to make mum and dad proud. So they were the 10 options that they had, Jeff. I did not prompt them, and I told them that there were no right or wrong answers. This was the group's top five. Number one, to have fun. Number two, to make mum and dad proud. Number three, to learn new things. Number four, to be a better player. And number five, to make new friends. Which really, really surprised me when I did it, and have done it with other teams. And to have fun, every time I've done it, has always become the number one. Um, interestingly, every player picked to have fun as their top reason, so all of the squad. Um, and the only two reasons not picked once were to win matches and to win trophies. Only one player chose to become a professional. And just to offer some balance to this, um, that lad is now a scholar at a um, Premier League club. So there is a balance to be had, but even he chose to have fun as the top one um, and I think it is good for children to have ambitions if and dreams and desires but only if it's their their own intrinsic motivator so that was interesting and then obviously there's a lot more in there um, about the topic but I don't want to read it all um, but I can read out some of the key takeaway points that I bolded here so I put if actions and environments are straying away from these core reasons for playing you know it's time to make changes and reset that was one takeaway. I have never known a young player to start pl- playing football because they want to win trophies or to be a professional. And then the end quote here was from someone called Steve Locker. And he says, before kids can play like a pro, they must enjoy playing the game like a kid. So there we go. A little bit of a teaser for that chapter. It's actually a very interesting one. Yeah, that's... that's- <clears throat> I'm going to probably say this about all of them, but that sounds like it might be one of my favourites. Oh, no, there's more, Jeff. It's 149 other (laughs) options. Um, Futsal one's got to be your favourite, but go on. I I love the fact that you said most recently, and and it was an under-7s team at the time, 
I'm sure that under sevens team are now under sixteens. So that shows how long you've been writing this book for, at least. Oh yeah, that's done it. Probably <laughs> <laughs> is it right up there. Yeah. And I've also realised I put the groups top five in the book, and instead of putting them number them one to five, I've just got bullet points. So I should have done one to five there. But there we go. Yeah. Not a bad start, Jeff. Quite easy, I think, just, um, to ease us into this. Should we go again? Next one. Yeah. So the yeah. idea is to give everyone a bit of a teaser of what's in there rather than go too in-depth with each one. Number 44. 44! Oh, just skip past there. Ah, right, okay. Chapter 44. Encourage your child to practice their weaknesses as well as their strengths. And the opening quote is from Tony Robbins, the motivational speaker, which most of you will have heard of, I'm sure. No matter how many mistakes you make or how slow the progress, you're still way ahead of everyone who isn't trying. Cheers, Tone. Right, the opening paragraph. Often children will become good at one aspect of the game and then stick to doing that thing all the time. I've seen it a lot at pre-academy groups I've been involved with where children have had so much praise for doing something well that they don't want to try anything else in case they don't look as good as they've been told or think they are. Some players develop a fixed mindset and would rather not try something than try it and not be very good at it. So this goes back to one of the main themes in the book, which is um, developing a growth mindset. Um, some other takeaways here. Um, I think one of the most important takeaways from this book is the importance of nurturing and developing a growth mindset, which has a chapter of its own, but it is a theme that runs throughout the book. Um, and a growth mindset um, is where um, children or people, humans, believe um, that they can improve through practice and hard work and dedication and all those types of things. Whereas a fixed mindset is where children believe that they've been born with natural talents or not naturally talented at things. Um, and they don't particularly like to try things where they're not, well, they're going to get shown up to be not very good, which is disastrous when it comes to fulfilling potential because they only stick to things that they're, um, they're good at. Actually, this is one of the interesting chapters in the book, Jeff, where it contradicts the next chapter. Okay. So the next chapter is working on strengths as well as weaknesses. Yeah. And that's about how sometimes if you have got a strength, like a great strike or dribbling that you should sometimes double down on that and you only actually need to get all the rest of your weaknesses up to a competent level to support what your superpower might be this is why i i know you said about not necessarily having to read it front to back yeah um um and work your way through but some of them are going to really overlap and like you said, said contradict each other and, and without some of the other information on some of the other chapters possibly some of it could be taken out of context and the context is so important so that toby uh tony robbins quote uh no matter how many mistakes you make or how slow the progress you're still well ahead way ahead of everyone who isn't trying reminds me a bit of mike tyson getting up at stupid o'clock in the morning to go for a run because he knows everybody else won't be doing that now you can't just take a mike tyson quote or that Tony Robbins quote out of context and force your child into doing it but the last one we just covered was about finding out what it is the reasons your child does it and if their reasons for doing it 
are being met, then they're going to probably set their own targets and goals and yeah, they're the sort of um, boundaries you're working within yeah. is whatever reasons that they want it wanted to play and what they're trying to get out of it. And there's some great stuff in here about um, developing goals with your child based on the season and long-term goals um, and then doing one as a parent of what you'd like for your child yeah. and then matching them up yeah. and any ones that match to match goals and then you concentrate on those um, together, if that makes sense. I'm just trying yeah. to do a whole complicated chapter there in one sentence, but um, we've gone off a bit on a tangent. But um, but yeah, context is important and it actually it, reminds me of a Steve Cram, Steve Ovet story I heard once. I think I read Steve Ovet's autobiography and uh he said that he um used to get up on christmas day yeah. to to go training because he didn't think that steve cram and i can't remember the other one of the there was a trio of them that were all competing so he didn't think the others would um would go out running on christmas day so he's getting one up on them and then years later at some function he he told the others that and uh, they sort of turned around and said what, you only went out once on Christmas yeah, Day? Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, God smacked. Yeah. But yeah, it always reminds me of that. Um, any other takeaways from here? Yeah, so we've got the important thing, though, is to always encourage and praise the effort and attempts to try. And that is a running theme throughout the book. Of um, It's not about the outcome and any successful outcome. You should praise the backstory of how they how they achieve. So if they've scored a goal with their left foot and they're a right-footed player, you know, don't, oh, great goal, brilliant. You have to say, all that practice is paying off. Um, well done. You deserve it for the practice. So always include the, the, the backstory in your praise because otherwise children can think that it naturally happened or they're lucky or something like that. Um, but again, a lot more about it in other chapters. And the finishing quote in this chapter was, Maximum human growth is on the border of support and challenge, which means you need support and challenge in equal measure to grow. And that's by Rob Moore. Ooh. A very good chapter there, Pez. Yeah, it is. I feel like I should read the whole thing because I feel like I'm selling everyone short. But Well, they've got to buy the book. Yeah, you I know. Stop buying them. <laughs> I know. Maybe I'll release some of them as blogs or something at some point. I don't know. Go on. So next chapter, randomise. Yeah. Chapter number 116, 116. Here the page is turning. Oh, 116. Ah, this one is creatively titled Pass, 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 with exclamation marks. And the opening quote on this one is, for children to be able to play like adults, then first, they need to play like children. And that was one of mine, Jeff. Perry Cockin. Yeah, I'm sure there's similar quotes by other people out there. There's a quote. Yeah, it's one of mine. I have tried to throw in a few of my own, by the way. Um, right there on links, I do love a quote, as you'll know. And as anyone that reads a book will find out. Right, so the opening paragraph of this is as follows. A bugbear of mine for many years has been coaches and parents who shout pass, 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 or something similar, like release it, to the players. It's more common in matches, but I've also known it during training sessions. It's closely followed by shoot and clear it away, which are also on my list of annoying instructions I often hear. I'm gonna go on to the next paragraph of this. I think maybe two's better. Now, 
I'm sure these phrases are said with all the best intentions, but they really do more harm than they do good. Sometimes it's just adults who get caught up in the excitement and want to be involved. Sometimes it's adults who are really competitive and want to win, and it can also be a parent shouting at their own child through embarrassment. There are many different reasons, but the point is that they are all adult reasons. The game is played by children for the children. It is, therefore, their game and not the adults. So, because I feel like I've now attacked people for shouting it, and I'm not explaining the reasons why I'm giving it any balance by just reading a couple of paragraphs. Anyway, maybe we'll do this again one day and I'll just read the whole lot. <laughs> I don't know. But there we go. Um, and another takeaway from here was, I don't think people realise how good players actually need to be individually to be able to play one and two touch passing football in a team. And a little bit of context with that one is we all want our teams as managers, um, coaches, parents, even players would like to play like Man City or Barcelona back in the day one and two touch passing football um, not staying on it too long moving the ball quickly lots of movement lots of pace we all know what good football should look like um, but there's a reason why not everyone can play like Man City and it's because the players aren't good enough individually and unfortunately to get that good individually players have to spend thousands and thousands of hours getting technically good with the ball and being on the ball so you almost have to earn the right through doing loads and loads and loads and loads of touches to be able to play with very few touches and the speed of the game. We did talk about it in the last podcast, didn't we, when Alan Pardew threw me into a training session once and I couldn't believe the speed of it and how technically good you had to be to even be able to think whilst the game was going on. Um, so it is a difficult one because we all want to play that way um, and a lot of coaches and managers will restrict players to one and two touches or shout release it and play the way you're facing and all this kind of stuff but unfortunately kids need to be kids so they need to make those mistakes hold on to it too long um, get tackled make mistakes in front of their own goal all of these things if they want to fulfill their potential in the long run unfortunately most people just want to win that game then so then you're comparing it to the adult game of which they should play quicker and with less touches and releasing it and playing the way they're facing and all those things but it can't be forced it can be guided and it can be um, worked on in training and things like that where you speak to the player but you can't force it Jeff yeah and this is so important for them to make their own decisions isn't it within the game and find out for themselves rather than somebody from the sideline directing it and making their decisions for them we had it last Wednesday where it's actually not the parents it was the kids who must have picked up the habit from outside um, our sessions where they were shouting at each other release it release it release it, it was exactly those words mm. and um, when we have our little intervals where we have not timeouts but playing quarters or thirds on the match um, I just pleaded with them to stop doing it because it might stop somebody having a, a special moment and yeah, that and, special moment did come and you know trust the coach so yeah. you're picking up and you're thinking probably should be releasing it there yeah. but I will speak to this child at training or on their own or away from everyone 
but I need to see how it pans out as a coach so I've got the whole picture of my player so I can help that player the best. If they're just playing to the crowd and to instructions, how are you ever going to find out about the player? But it is a difficult one because you all want to win the game, everyone gets sucked into it and as an adult, and you know the adult game, you know a player shouldn't be holding onto the ball that long or they should be playing it. You can all see it, but the kids are kids. They're not adults yet. They have to play like kids to become footballing yeah. adults. And that's not that's an adult environment with people on the sidelines screaming and shouting, isn't it? It's not, a, it's not a child's environment. It won't look like what a classroom looks like or it's just no other walk of life. I don't see it happening. Reminds me of a quote, funnily enough. Something like, don't burn your hut for heat, basically, because as soon as all your firewood's gone, then you're in a worse situation than you were before. So it's the like a short term, let's let's win this match, let's do everything right in this match now to try and get a result at the um, detriment of your long-term development. But I admit, there has to be a balance and... No one likes a kid that holds onto the ball for too long and dribbles because it means their kid's not getting the ball. And I completely understand that. Um, but it's one of the reasons why we don't produce wonderful dribblers anymore, players that can go around people in this country, I believe, Jeff, because it's been completely coached out of them by managers, coaches and parents. And as you've just said, other kids. So people haven't tried it. They haven't made the mistakes. They haven't learned through trial and error because they've not been allowed to be so they're just not going to do it. So your gigses and your McManamums and people that possibly got what they needed on the street back in the day and in the playgrounds, we're not producing anymore. You know, your gazers and that because the environment's all changed because football's so organised and if it's organised, people want to win and then they want to play one and two touch and they want to pass, pass, pass. And we just don't... Have we got any dribblers at the moment? Sterling maybe, but I imagine he... Foden and Grealish, but there, there's probably been some better work done in the past twenty years compared to the. Are they dribblers? Do they do they before? beat players? Those two, do they, do they get round their player? Not not as much as the names you mentioned previously. No, no, not as much. It's an interesting debate. Anyway, one to be careful of, and uh, one to definitely uh, go to if you do get the book. Cool. There's no end quote in that one. Can you believe it? Should have made one up. You can make one up, Jeff, and I'll stick it in. I'll write it in. <laughs> it's too late now. <laughs> it's too late now. All right. Um, next random question? Yeah, not cool. Chapter, I should say, not question. 16. 16. Oh, Knock off 100. Oh, it's a long one. Ah. Oh, should we just do another one? one? It's a should deep we just one. just do another one? It's a deep one, Jeff. We're going in. Oh, wow. That is deep. Yeah, right. Chapter number 16. Try not to live your own dreams through your child. Oh, goodness, this is going to be one I'm going to feel like I should read the whole thing to give it a bit of balance and context. But the opening quote, that's another one by me. God, oh, I didn't wow. do many, I'm sure. Your job as a parent is to give your child the opportunity and support to be themselves. Not a classic, but I did write it. So that's by me. Right, the opening paragraph is this. I just want them to have fun and enjoy it. It's a phrase I have heard many times over, yet often the actions of the person who is saying it don't match up to the statement. This one tends to be mainly dads, but there are a few mums too, who desperately want success for their children. 
This can be for many reasons, such as having had relatively little success in their own sporting lives, or maybe because the parents are successful in other areas and can't stand the thought of the child looking like a failure. Suddenly, missed opportunities in their own lives or bad luck can be rectified through their child's success. A door that was closed to them long ago is now reopened. Likes and comments can suddenly be plentiful on social media and the ego can take over. I'm going to have to read the next one. can't leave it there. I'm attacking again. I seem to start by attacking, don't I, Jeff? And then playing it out and balance as we go just along. Just getting on the front foot early, aren't I just you? feel like I'm just annoying everyone. <laughs> um, next paragraph. Unfortunately, a parent's own identity and purpose can become entangled with the child's achievements and over time they can come to rely on them for their own self-worth. In an age where more and more people are searching for purpose and meaning, it's no wonder they are looking for it from their children. They often defend their actions by insisting they are just supporting their child and giving them opportunities often that they never had. Do not presume that your child is a mini-me. They are more than likely very different from you with their own interests and ambitions. Some parents feel a certain amount of pressure to give their children certain advantages and we all want our children to avoid making the same mistakes we did. And it goes on for quite a few pages, this one, because it is a very important chapter. I thought you were going to say, and it goes on <laughs> and, and on. on and on. Yeah, probably does a bit. <laughs> I do like repeating myself. That's why it's such a big book. Um, I will read out some of the highlighted bits that I've put in there that I think are important takeaways. But again, I've got no context, Jeff, so I hope it doesn't feel like I'm just on the attack. Obsession with outcomes can be dangerous in terms of development. So they're a bit like quotes these, aren't they? Next one. To achieve desired outcomes properly, meaningfully and lastingly, then there is a process to go through, which is built on a foundation of effort and moulded by making mistakes. Make sure you have your own hobbies and interests and that your whole life, emotions and happiness don't depend on, our, on how your child or their team is doing on the football pitch. Very important one. I've, I've had particularly dads who, when we've lost a game on a Sunday, will say, that's it, whole day ruined now. And you're like, hang on a minute. <laughs> it's a kid's game of football, under sevens or under eights. Um, you know, go and do something else. Go and have a roast dinner. Go down the pub, watch the match. I don't know, whatever it might be. But you, your whole day or week or whatever it might be can't be reliant on how your seven, eight, nine, ten, or whatever age did on a football pitch or a futsal court. Sorry, I had to button on that one. Right. Next one. Let them play for their own reasons. Let them explore the possibilities for themselves and make their own mistakes. God, there's a few of them, Jeff. Next one. Always remember that this is their game and not yours. They play for the love of the game and not for the love of their parents. Oh, that's a deep one here, Jeff. Yeah. Ah, this is an interesting one. Never use we when referring to your child's sport. It explains it much better than that in the book. But, um, yeah, it's um, it's a good tip. Never use we like, oh, we should win this one today. Or, oh, we showed that lot today, didn't we, son? Or whatever it might be, um, which I've heard many times. Never refer to sport as we. It's their sport. It's their game. Unfortunately, you're just facilitating it and supporting them. Um, it's not a we sport. It's their game. That's a really good one, Pez. I haven't given that much thought before in the past. I try to think of everything, Jeff. That's yeah. why it took about 10 years to write. But, yeah, it's an important takeaway. But, again, needs the context of what's written with it in the book. 
seemed like a good idea doing it this way, but I don't know. Hopefully it's adding some sort of value or sparking an interest. Next one. Some successes might bring parents a certain amount of joy, but the only thing that will truly make them happy is if their child is happy. God, that's another good one. That should have been a quote. Um, next one. The connection you have with your child is what will make you happy. And then football as a game is unimportant, but the importance of the life lessons and connections it can build cannot be measured. Should have just done a book of quotes. Um, and then the end quote of this chapter is, children were not born to complete your life. They were born to complete their own. That's by William Martin. I really like that one. Yeah, that is, that is special. Um, that opening quote, the parent quote, I just want them to have fun and enjoy it. If you know, if that's what they want, then going back to what you always see, say is they just need to match their actions to their words, don't they? Yeah, I had someone say it just the other night. They said, oh, this pro team's seen my lad playing and wants him to go. And we had a long conversation, as you normally do. Um, and he just kept going back to just want them to have fun and enjoy it. But mm. it's an opportunity. But mm. just want to see what happens. But will he ever get another chance? And do you know what I mean? It's like they come back to that default, but they've already kind of made up their minds what they want to do. Happy? Happy. Next You're chapter. always happy. Because if you're happy, I'm happy, Jeff. Yeah. And that's important. <laughs> <laughs> As he checks his watch. <laughs> you do know what I mean. Recorded yeah, yeah, on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. So you can't yeah. yawn and check your thanks, watch. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> go on, you're right. not really selling this book, are you? Goodness. Right, go on then, mate. Hit Ran that button. Randomise. Chapter 98. 98. You like making me... Flick back and forth in this book. Oh, goodness. Don't even know if I can pronounce this word. <laughs> I wrote it. <laughs> right, chapter, was it 98? 98. Egocentric, narcissistic, and mastery centric. Wow. Oh, yeah. This isn't one I'm going to be able to do any value with just by reading out a few little bits, but we'll stick to the plan. The opening paragraph to this is no matter how great a person is, Egocentrism will annihilate that greatness. Opening paragraph. This chapter is very similar to some others, but it's worth re-emphasizing the point. If a child is getting adulation and rewards based on outcomes like scoring goals and winning matches, they can be in danger of developing an egocentric or narcissistic attitude. They can develop an entitlement attitude and believe they deserve to win everything. When they don't, they often struggle to cope with their emotions. We all want our children to be competitive in a competitive world, but do not let the competition have a derogatory effect on mastering their sport. Difficulties arise when children have a high ego, stroke competitive nature, and a low mastery attitude. Fixed mindset. So there are the opening two paragraphs there. I think it's better with two. Um, and then a little takeaway I put here. If the child is competitive but lacks the skills and techniques to compete, frustration and the associated emotions can overwhelm them again and of course i'm going to say it because i wrote it but it's a really important point and i see this a lot i get and you see more and more recently get a lot of children that are highly competitive can't stand losing want to win but their skills don't match that competitive spirit so they're not winning or they're not 
competing how they want to compete because they lack the skills or the knowledge um, because they don't particularly like training. It comes from a fixed mindset again, you know, and the kids that are like, when's it match time? How many more skills are we going to do? When's it match time? And a lot of boys are like this. Girls are a little bit different from my experience. Boys just want to compete, want to compete. So you're doing training and skills and development, but some of them are highly competitive and they want to compete. Um, and they think the only way they can do that is by playing matches. And then they get to the matches and because they haven't put any effort into the training, their skill level lets them down. And so they get frustrated and really overwhelmed um, by the emotions of that. And I can see it happening more and more and more and it breaks my heart sometimes. I don't know what you see. You do slightly older children. You might have learned how to control their emotions somewhat. But they end up kicking people or yeah. pretending they've got an injury or walking off. And you might recognise this with your own children if you're listening. Like The little limp comes in when they've missed a goal or missed an opportunity to score or they've been tackled or not having a good game. Or, oh, my knee hurts or... You know, I'm tired and all the excuses start coming in and it's a really, really rocky road. It's um, it's almost about managing your expectations a little bit, some of it, isn't it? Like uh, our futsal clubs always mix double age bands, under 11s, play with the under 12s and play up a year. So sometimes our under 12s will go and play an under 13s team. Mm-hmm. So they're having a real jump and it's going to be tough because some players have got almost two years more experience than them depends on when they're born in the year and all this yep. kind of stuff and the, the size difference at that age um, probably especially when we play a girls team um, which we've done quite a bit recently in the New Forest League can be quite big so the jump is massive so you might be actually technically very good but your ego is still taking a dent because that only gets you so far when it's a competitive fixture and um, playing against players have learned how to win yeah, using and, what and you might attributes they've got. You might do some nice passes to get round them, but then their recovery runs are much quicker and stronger and faster than yours. And you might do a nice skill to beat a player, but they've got back around before you've got your shot off. So um, I think it's about sometimes just managing your expectations based on what's everyone else's experience in the room if that makes sense. Yeah, no, massively. And I've, I, even with myself and our first team, so adults, we went up to Manchester on Sunday and then you think about their players' experience and how many internationals they might have and how many hours on a futsal court. The size they've... of the city and the pool yeah, of... But also, like their futsal age is a massive thing in futsal, so some of those players would have been playing for 10 years and doing three sessions a week in matches all the way through or something like that and then we've got players that have done a bit of futsal and tipped up expecting to compete at the highest level in the country after doing yeah. a four or five hour drive played a bit of five aside before yeah and, and been good at it and had yeah, loads yeah. of success and scored loads of goals and been the best player in their club or whatever they've done but he's it's, and my ego's taken a massive battering over the last two years <laughs> But sometimes you just got to park it, haven't you? And just think, yeah. you know, we keep talking about it, just keep showing up. A winner's just a loser who keeps showing up eventually. Well, um, we talked about it the other day, I'm sure we did. Um, shout out to Luke Ballinger, one of your former players, England's most capped futsal player. Um, we entered the same tournament, I think it was under 10s, 
Um, they weren't in our group, but he had um, his lot on one pitch and we were on the other. And he, his team were really, really struggling in the tournament. And uh, I said to you, even at the time, you know, he's England international, the pressure on him to produce winning teams must be enormous. But he wasn't shouting at the players. He was calm. He was complete credit, I felt. I, I learned a lot from, from that day because I always felt under pressure. I obviously was coach at Southampton and stuff like that. But even here was a futsal. He was Mr. England futsal, top goal scorer and all of that. And um, he had to park his ego massively for the, for the best of the children. And always, always remember that. Big shout out to Bally. I expect he's still playing for someone somewhere. What futsal? Probably. He's just come back out of retirement. Oh, has he? Again? Yeah, I think so. Oh, brilliant. Um, well, you're a long time retired, so. Yeah. Right. I think that was the end of that one. Partly egos move on, yeah? Partly egos move on, mate. Right. Randomise. One, four, five. Oh, mate, this is going to be tough. Because this is in the skills acquisition section at the back. So at the back of the book, there is um, individual practices, training at home and skill acquisition section. And we've got a quote from Arsene Wenger here. If you have no technical skill at 14, you can forget it. You will never be a football player. So that's the opening um, Part that? I can't see that. Oh no, that's not on that bit. That was just reading what the section is. Oh, so okay. this dark bit is so then from chapters one four two to one four nine are all about uh, individual practices, training at home and skill acquisition, which dare I say it, parking the ego, that's what we specialise in. What we're best at, what we focus on, I would have thought. Um what was the number? One four five. One four five. So I can see a Cristiano Ronaldo quote, which is why I'm so confused. <laughs> yeah, not an Arsene Wenger quote. Um, why you should encourage your child to practice ball mastery moves as much as possible. Um, Cristiano quote, talent without hard work is nothing. It's one of his famous ones that you see all over the place. But I'll read a few. I'll read, because they're small ones, I'll read the opening three paragraphs here. In my opinion, the ratio for children's football development should be three training sessions for every match. This is rare, so getting extra practice is vital to fulfilling potential. I will expand on that a little bit. I think I've always said and believe training is more important than football matches. Matches will get you experience and develop your football IQ and some instinct, but it doesn't give you enough actual contact time with the ball to get good at football. So... To get the right balance, I believe probably about three training sessions for every match, which with players playing on a Saturday and a Sunday nowadays, impossible. Um, so if you really want your child to fulfill their potential, you really should be facilitating some other form of practice at home, if you can and if their enjoyment allows and if they want to. But it is a problem. And as I've said already today, and I've said a million times, Back in the day, they used to get this contact time with the ball in the playgrounds at break time with a tennis ball, whatever it might be, in the playground or on the school field. And then they used to, I say they, we, Jeff, because we probably did it, although I'm a bit older than you, meet with your mates after school until it got dark, playing in the street, down the wreck, back down to school, playing on the fields there, and all these things have gone. You know, why pretend to be Ronaldo and Messi 
in the playground now when you can go home and be Ronaldo and Messi on your PlayStation and Xbox. So that's just to give it a little bit of context because even back in the day, I didn't have three training sessions for every match that I did, but I would have made up for it by playing with my mates. That's gone. So now to develop to the level that a lot of you probably want your children, or at least given the opportunity to, probably need to facilitate a little bit more practice. Right, I went off on one there, Jeff. Next Good. paragraph. The idea of individual isolated practices is a theme that has come up many times in this book. It is not a coaching book, so I will not delve too deeply into the science and the arguments for and against it. Although there's a chapter about that coming up. But I will say that all the players who have used them over my 20 years in the game have benefited massively. Now that's a fact, isn't it, Jeff? I see every day how much they work, and for some people to dismiss them is foolish, in my opinion. Briefly, there are some that argue the merit of individual practices as they are linear and have no decision-making or game-related context involved. There are no opponents with cues or triggers to react to, so it is, therefore, pointless, as everything has to be relearned in game situations. I understand this theory, but in my experience, those who practice individually massively accelerate the learning opportunities afforded to them in game situations and practices. So doing the practices accelerates all the stuff that these people would rather they did, in my opinion. But it, again, I wish I could read it all because it's something that I'm passionate about, which is why it's got its own section. And there is a paragraph about um, opposition to individual isolated practices. Um, which is number 147. But I will read out some of the highlighted takeaways. So, technical practices need to be used to help accelerate the learning and development that match-based games offer. Players who practice individually with the ball tend to move well and have quick feet. There's a misconception that individual practices are just fancy skills and are only for players who want to showboat. Training the basics through repetition builds competence and confidence. Practicing builds up the internal knowledge bank. The more in the bank, the more the brain can access that knowledge subconsciously, leaving the conscious mind to make important decisions on the pitch. I like that one. It is my opinion that learning the fundamentals and doing isolated practices affords players a certain spontaneity and freedom that other players don't get. And the end quote for this chapter is, you have to work hard in the dark to shine in the light by Kobe Bryant. Oh, what a great quote. Yeah, love that one. Yeah. I'm sure it's on posters somewhere as well. Cool. Leave that one there because I could just talk all day about the importance of individual practices and technical development. Well, we've known each other a long time. We have known each other a and long it's time. It's your birthday yesterday, Jeff, by the way. Happy birthday. Thanks very much, mate. That's all right. 20, Did you see the post I put up about you? Yes, it was yeah. very, very sweet and very there was kind. There quite, quite a lot of photos in there, yeah. wasn't there? There could yeah. have been many, many more. Many memories. Um, Sorry. Carry on. I well, it's just over those years, we've seen it dismissed so many times. and Boring, isn't it? it? Like you say, it works. And people say, if you chuck enough mud at a water stick and yeah. all these different things, people have dis said to dismiss it as if it's some kind of fluke when players go on and play for pro teams from our tiny, tiny, tiny little rural villagey area that we're both from, isn't it? And then... Yeah. You know, in the past month, players have played for England under twenties, 
Georgia under was it 18s and USA I don't know what that squad was it's the for the Pan Am Games it was yeah. the men's squad but I think it has to be under 23s so the the Pan American okay. Games Pan Am and all similar ages about two three years apart between those three players and they've all come through doing hours and hours and hours of individual repetition work but the one thing they had in common was that they all did that training yeah yeah and they all did it we're not seeing those stats from anywhere else in our area are we so no it Um, works so don't dismiss it even if you think you've read something that dismisses it well because we see it like you said on a daily basis (coughs) weekly basis the difficulty is Jeff it is a difficult thing to do for coaches and managers because it takes a lot of practice and studying yourself to learn how to do it and what to do so I think a lot of coaches and managers and parents and things are looking to dismiss it so they'll latch on to anything that's said and go yeah I knew knew that was rubbish Freddie Youngberg heard him speaking just yesterday about Harland saying it's not fancy step overs or learning to do the L turn like all these kids do um, mm. he uses his power his strength his pace over five yards and he's intelligent and his first touch is brilliant his second touch is brilliant I think he was talking about a goal I'm not sure which one it was maybe the one against Liverpool and he hits it early before the the keeper's set and he says for me that's technique he said if he decided to do a step over someone in in there the defender would have recovered and um, he wouldn't have scored it's like well yeah I get it but we don't know what Harlan was like as a kid he might have spent thousands of hours with the ball like we've already said doing L turns and step overs and exploring with the ball um, be very boring his training if all he ever did was touch and hit touch and hit so I'm sure he would have spent thousands of hours as a kid exploring and experimenting and playing with a football doing L turns and step overs and flip flaps and whatever else doesn't mean he has to use them in a game just means he's confident now and he's competent with the ball to an exceptional level so he's earned the right through practice trial and error individually um, he's earned the right to do what he wants basically and play as few touches as he wants to hit it early but I don't know again it was a snippet and when I saw it I thought yeah I get that that's fine but I know people are latching on to comments like that saying, so yeah, you don't need all those fancy flicks and tricks and step overs, but kids need to be engaged because they're children. So you need to give them things to go and have touches of the ball. Like when we give our kids some skills to go and do, we're not bothered if they never use them in a match or even if they don't master that skill. What we are bothered about is that they're exploring that skill and they're getting touches of the ball and they're trying and they're moving and they're experimenting. Um, making loads of mistakes and it's improving their balance and coordination and they might decide that flip flap's not for me I'll never get that so what but just by trying it they're improving as a player if you just said all I want you to do guys is play two touch football and do shooting practice because that's what the game's about you'd lose a load of kids you're going back to another one of the chapters and also almost letting the child make their own decision there again isn't it given the opportunities and ideas to explore and then it's up to them to dismiss it not a parent or a Freddie Lundberg who played with Thierry Henry and Dennis Bergkamp by the way who mm, very different types of players to Haaland in my opinion and 
I, you know, how technically skillful was Thierry Henry? He might not have used thousands of different skills all the time, but very, very technically comfortable with the ball and capable of probably doing anything he wanted. I've seen him on Nike adverts doing Rabanas from behind a goal that spin back and go in. So, uh, is that going to be useful when he was playing for Arsenal or Barcelona or France? Probably not, but thousands of hours exploring with the ball and working it out on the streets and everything that goes with it. Yeah, and I, I think with your L turns, and I say it because that's what he used, and your step overs, okay, we teach them isol- in isolation, um, but we do it in a in a way that we've built up over years of expertise, so we break things down to minimum, learn the parts, put it back together. In the book I call it, I think it's whole part, whole skill acquisition, and then unopposed, opposed, throw in some randomness and some chaos. And then the final piece of jitsu is you've got to give them the environment and the culture where they can then try those in matches and learn for themselves. So a kid might practice the flip-flap and do all of these things. He tries it in a match, doesn't work. Um, He's never likely to try it again if the coach shouts out, don't try that there, those fancy skills. Um, In fact, we warn some of the players, if you try this in a match and it doesn't work, you'll probably get shouted at by (laughs) your manager and the parents. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I always say it's a difficult one, but it is a difficult one. But we know that it works and it's not about the skill, it's not about the flip-flap. Couldn't care less if a kid never did a flip-flap. I'm not teaching a kid the flip-flap to do a flip-flap in a match. Um, Teaching them to get comfortable with the ball and build their confidence. And if they choose to do it, they probably could. It's not about showboating. Um, But again, I'll say it, you need the environment where they can then go and try it in matches. Find out what works and what doesn't for them. Learn through trial and error. Discard what they don't like, what they're never going to use. I mean, I don't think Charlie Webster at Chelsea and now Heravine on loan and Vaughan at Hull City and Kean Tideman, um, Finn Tonks, um, George Chibanidze are throwing out flip-flaps, rainbow flicks, step-overs in the matches that they do. I mean, Finn's a, a modern fullback, up and down the pitch, works really hard, very technically good on the ball, can get the ball forward, get their team up the pitch. His dad sends me loads of clips of him. I have not seen a step-over, a rainbow flick, a flip-flap, but those are the sort of things he was doing with us. They've all got they've all got a mindset to have a challenge and achieve achieve through which hard you, work. Which you can develop through skill yeah, training. Exactly that. So yeah, you're developing the mindset as well as the actual That's absolutely what it's done for yeah. all of them, isn't it? So you can show a kid a flip flap, couldn't care less whether they ever use it, but you could care that they're trying something that they can't already do. And practicing it until they can get some sort of competence with it. Working because through the frustration and the difficult exactly times. That, and because it's the mindset. So to dismiss it as, oh, well, you don't want to see players doing that and trying things like that. And is it useful? Well, it depends what you're trying to get the use out of it for. And even if it's just getting comfortable with the ball and building confidence, it all has a use. God, I could talk about it all day. That passionate about it. Yeah. Anyway... Hit that button, Jeff. I reckon we've got time for a couple more. One, two, nine. Please be an easy one. You can hear the pages flicking. I'm doing that for effect, by the way. Wish I was. (laughs) 
Ah. Chapter 129. Scanning. Playing on the half turn and football intelligence. And the opening quote is... There are so many players in football with great talent, but their actual understanding of the game is poor. And that's the difference between good and great. It's getting the decisions right, which is key in football. Jamie Carragher. I wish you'd have done that in his accent. That would have been much more interesting. Hey, nice <laughs> kid. Right. That was a bit more Bancunian, wasn't it, the Scouse? Anyway, right, the first couple of paragraphs. Although primarily not a coaching book, it's worth mentioning how important it is that your child plays on the half turn and develops the habit of scanning. Scanning is the term used for looking around and taking in what's around them. This particularly includes looking over the shoulders to get a complete picture. Players who do this will be aware of opportunities for action or areas of possible danger. The best players seem to have a lot of time on the ball. They do this by continually scanning so they can assess the best possible action to take in advance. It's a habit that can be developed over a period of time and really will help your child to fulfil their potential. A player who doesn't scan will have to wait until they've got the ball to make decisions. These are usually immediate reactions and slow the game down. A player who scans will be aware of the possible actions available to them even before they have got the ball. Rather than always reacting to things, they are making things happen themselves. And it goes on and on and on. Actually, it's quite a short chapter. But yes... Um, teaching players if you're going to do stuff at home with your kids or play in the playground or just shoot with them in the garden just be aware that if you can say scan so they're looking over their shoulders before they do actions so that becomes a habit will lift your child to another level when it comes to match time because they'll be taking in action taking in <clears throat> what's around them and knowing what's possible actions before they get the ball i think that's right yeah and head up or scan is a great way to solve the problem of people shouting release it or pass 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 which was the other chapter yeah. we covered earlier isn't it it's um it's just a a trigger for them to make their own decisions rather than telling them to pass the ball. i wish there was a different word to scan because it's been a bit overused and i know players now who just literally and this is for the bennett people on youtube just literally Chat their turn head. left and right and they don't actually look at what's around them um that's why and the individual practices I've done over the years to try and maybe stand behind them there's, um, there's holding one cones up or fingers up and they have to scan and shout out one player in particular where it's just so obvious and I can't believe his coaches hadn't picked him up on it before we did swivel head yeah he was just turning his head he may as well have had his eyes shut yeah not if, doing it for any if, purpose if anything it was just knocking himself off balance that's how yeah. much he was exaggerating chucking his head round to the side it wasn't any benefit to him at all was it can you remember doing lockdowns when i bought a strip of disco lights and each one so and they come on randomly yeah. and that's so that i could put it behind a player so i didn't have to be close to them and then could do the skills and then they would scan over their shoulders and whatever color it was they'd either have to shout it out or if it was green they might have to go and run those, the green cone and how those sessions worked out for you all right yeah really really good I've done it loads well i chose i chose um Right in the book over doing one-to-ones oh, okay. for, okay. for a long time. But I still have the lights. I still have the lights. So you're more than welcome to borrow. But it's a good idea, but you can do it with cones. Um, like I say, you can even hold your fingers up and just get players to scan over and shout how many fingers you've got. So they're actually scanning for a purpose. And it's better if they can scan for a purpose and then have to react 
to whatever they've seen as well. So it's all stages of development. Um, but just encouraging them before they shoot or receive the ball, even in a kickabout, to look over their shoulder because then it determines what they're going to do with the first touch. Otherwise, a lot of players just get it, stop it, then try and decide what to do. doesn't matter how good they are, bang, someone will be on them, especially as they go up through the levels. Um, and it goes on to talk about playing on the half turn and football intelligence. So Please read the final quote, because it's from a silky smooth man. Ah, oh, it's one of my very few in life, apart from you, man crushes. <laughs> <laughs> this is from Andrea Pirlo. Football is played with the head. Your feet are just the tools. That even just feels like he's playing football, doesn't it? When you read that quote out. Yeah. Love him. What a man. I read his autobiography, actually. Fantastic. Going back to the last chapter, you can only do that if you've done lots of technical work. and. Yeah, your your tools have to be pretty good. Yeah, you can't be thinking about everything else that's going on Mm. if your technique's letting you down. So, again, all links into each other. I could be the best shed maker in the world. If I've got no nails and a hammer, mate, <laughs> it's just not going to happen, is it? I love a quote, don't I? <laughs> the randomest thing just pop into my you head. You would be the worst shed builder <laughs> with I've ever even, met. Even with a hammer. <laughs> You've seen the Simpsons episode, but it's like, <laughs> he's drawn it out. And he forgets to put the door on. Yeah, door upside down. Mr. Yeah. Happy Camper is the sun. It would be me. Right, we've hit an hour. Should we go for one more, Jeff? One more. One more. Okay. Randomise. Mm. One, three, we don't three. don't have to go too far. No. One, just around the three, corner. three. Ooh. I said that almost everyone. Ooh. Right. Chapter 133. The child with big dreams and ambitions. It's another deep one, Pez. It's another it's deep one, deep yeah. Deep one. But it's, it's a nice one, I feel. Mm. This is the opening quote. Let children dream. Dreams cost nothing. For when they dream, they soar above the madness called life. And I would love to read this guy's name out. Dedu Deji Cornelius. Done well there, I think. Yeah, I think, I think I've given it as good a go as I'm ever going to give. But um, I really love that quote. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever you are. Um, right, first two paragraphs. It is fantastic for your child to have dreams. It is their right to have ambition and dreams however difficult they might be to achieve. Why shouldn't a child dream of achieving something amazing? It's much better to have high ambitions and fall short than to have low ambitions and hit. That's not bad, bad, Jeff. A child's dream should never be squashed. It is important, though, that you explain that those dreams are just outcomes, future goals. They don't exist yet and will not magically happen. There are processes that need to be gone through to achieve those goals. How hard those processes are depends on the goal or ambition. The great news for them is that, although the outcome might be out of their control, the process of how to get there is controllable. There's a way of giving themselves the best possible chance of achieving their goal. By setting small, controllable, process-orientated goals, they can fulfil their potential and achieve their dreams, whatever they may be. They are also accountable for their own actions, or lack of them, towards achieving those goals. And there's other chapters on goals. Do you know what, Jeff? I'm going to read the whole one of this. It'll be the last one. and I'm going to finish the whole chapter. This will all break down, though, if those goals are forced upon them. They have to be their own goals, dreams and ambitions, and not yours. Never force your child to achieve their own goals either. Help facilitate and support them, but never force them. It's simply your job to remind them that they might not be matching their actions to their ambitions. 
Goals help you to give them a positive push when needed <coughs> Excuse me, by reminding them of their ambitions. Letting them take ownership of their goals and the processes and letting them know that you believe that they can achieve them is very powerful. Try not to get carried away and let your child think that you believe that they will play in the Premier League one day. But make sure that your child knows that you believe it is possible for them to achieve all the short-term process goals needed along the way if that's what they want to do. Encourage those dreams but make sure they're aware that to be achieved they have to commit, persevere and work hard and smart. More about goal setting can be found in chapter 81. And the finishing quote, all our dreams can come true if we just have the courage to pursue them. Walt Disney. One of my favourites, Walt Disney, by the way. That's my favourite chapter that we've looked at. Because well, we've read the whole thing, probably. <laughs> no, it's just brilliant. Well, it's, brilliant. it's also, out of context, a bit contradictory to some of the other stuff, um, you know, um, because it's not all about playing in the Premier League and winning the FA Cup. But kids have always dreamt about scoring a winning goal in the FA Cup, and that's their right, and so they should. Yeah. And we have to explain that, although unlikely... If that's what you want to do, this is how you do it. This is the pathway and it's a rocky pathway and it's difficult, but we'll help you see how far you can get. And I wrote that chapter because I'd seen some Twitter post somewhere, um, I don't know, dismissing children's ambitions of playing at a high level and stuff like that. Well, why shouldn't they? If, if my kid says to me, he's not likely to now because he's 14, but, you know, want to be an astronaut or want to be a train driver. You shouldn't go, don't be stupid. It's not going to happen. You'd say, yeah, why not? That's nice, son. You know, you, you shouldn't take away their dreams and you should um, facilitate things and, and help them. And, and why not? Everything that was achieved in life was a dream once. Is that another quote? Can I put that in that blank space from earlier? Yeah. It's true, though, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. This... The book would never have been written if it wasn't a dream or an ambition. And loads of people said, shouldn't do it. They wouldn't be able to get enough content for it. I think I proved that wrong with how many pages? 450. Um, there wouldn't be a market for it, etc., etc. We still don't know about that. Plenty of people have believed in you there too, haven't they? Which is yeah, exactly. Nice here, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, lots of people, including you, Jeffrey. So I always appreciate so, you. Help and a lovely chapter for your usual sign off as well yes it is is that your is you hinting that we're done now and you have to get off to your coaching session no I just think it's it's perfectly linked back to the first chapter that we looked at today and then yeah it's a nice falls into your nice way to finish um, if you are interested in the book and there are more quotes and some random bits from chapters on my Facebook page which is Perry Cocking author so you can go there and like that and there's links to the book there um, feel free to contact me and ask me any sort of questions that you like as I said it is available at the Great British Bookshop um, dead easy to find and if you want to buy it through Amazon make sure you scroll down to other Amazon buying options or something like that I should be clear on that but you'll find it there click on that and then you'll have you'll find the link which is also through the Great British Bookshop but it might be easier for you to purchase that way um, because the the one that's listed as the top one on Amazon because they try and corner the market um, has got an unrealistic delivery time because they don't stock it yet but they might 
Might even do an ebook next year, Jeff. We shall see. It's good to have ambitions and dreams, isn't it, mate? And this this podcast was sponsored by you, I guess. Oh, how yeah. How much money you spent on this room. And, and in other news, <laughs> today's episode was sponsored by Did You Win? Did You Score? How to Help Your Child Succeed at Football and Life by Perry Cocking. Out now in all good... No, it's not. Although I think there are other places you can get it if you search for it. But there we are, Jeff. Um, enjoyed that. Did you win? Did you score? We haven't discussed what the meaning is behind the title of the book because it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, isn't it? It is a little bit tongue-in-cheek because when I wrote it, I imagined sort of my life when I might have come home from football. My brother, my dad didn't tend to come and watch. My oldest brother did and he might bring me in and then I'd go into the kitchen and my mum would be doing something in there and the uh, first thing she'd say to me was, did you win? Did you score? And I imagine, and I have it on good authority, that, that that's pretty much what most people say when they to their children when they haven't seen them play. Um, even at training, did you win, did you score? Um, and it's actually quite detrimental, although it seems silly, but phrases like that um, can be di- quite detrimental to children's development because I used to come in and my mum would go, did you win, did you score? And i go... Ah, uh, no. <laughs> no, I didn't. We lost 5-0, Mum. Cheers, thanks for asking. Oh, that's nice, dear. And all that. And you, you go away and you'd think, ah, oh, jeez, I need to be in a team that wins. Or I need to score or nobody's bothered. And then in the next game, I wouldn't pass. I, you know, try and dribble around everyone and i shoot from everywhere so I could go home to Mum and go, yeah, I scored. Um, and I know it sounds a bit petty, but it is that type of question amongst others and other things that don't help. Much better thing to ask, Jeff, is something like, um, did you enjoy it, obviously? Which seems a bit woo-wah, but um, were you competitive today is what I asked my child, even at boxing. So if he's been sparring, say, you know, it's like, did you win your spa? It's like, did when you knock him out? When it's, he's coming over two black eyes. So it's, were you competitive though? You know, because you can be competitive whether you win or you lose. Yeah. Whether you score or you don't. You know, were you competitive? There's a great chapter in the book actually about the difference between working hard and competing. It's one of my favourites. So anyway, I hope we've um, piqued some interest in some people. Um Obviously, it's a bit of a blatant advert for it as well, but I wouldn't do that if I didn't think that people who read these wouldn't get benefit, and I think they'll get massive benefit from some of it, if not all of it. Um, I would also like to say that it does appear that I attack quite a few people, but it's just my, my job to point out what might be, and then it's a parent's job to decide then when they've got all the information what they want to do so there's chapters in the book like don't mark your child out of 10 someone asked me the other night actually you were there jeff yeah i was last week yeah this time parents said how did they do out of 10 and i was like i can't do that and then i I said there's a chapter in my book about this i said because what if i um give them a nine and then next week they've been brilliant but i only give them an eight because the context is different and they're going to go away disappointed but they might have worked harder with the eight than they did on the nine there's too much context involved never mark your child out of ten probably need more explaining than that but it's in the book Um, again paying children for 
goals, five or a goal today, or if you get a hatchet, we'll stop for McDonald's. Don't do it. It's all explained in the book. But these little things um, that you can read in the book, and you might go, well, actually, I'm aware of that now, so I'm not going to do it all the time, but I might do it occasionally. Or you can say, no, I think you're wrong. I'm going to carry on doing that. But there might be other parts of the book that you think, oh, no, I never didn't even think of that. And you might implement some of that in there. So it's not a Bible, you must do this, but it's just to make people aware. And through awareness um, comes better decision making. It's absolutely brilliant, mate. And you should be very, very proud of yourself. Yeah, pr it's pride's not an emotion I do very well. No, but I don't. I don't know why. I, I don't. I don't really feel it. Maybe I will one day. Um, I had this conversation with someone the other day about what are you most proud of? And actually, the only thing I really, really feel proud of is the work that you and I did during lockdown. I, you know, a feeling of pride. Yeah. I and mean, I can say, yeah, proud of the book, proud of the podcast, proud of Charlie and all of that. But the real feeling of proudness is that work actually we did during lockdown. Actually making a difference, wasn't it? Well, yeah. I think you've always it was our that. time, wasn't it? Yeah. Because it... It was what we do was the individual practice and having 25 children all on Zoom and more, seeing all their faces and in corridors, kitchens, bedrooms, back gardens and still being able to improve them as footballers was, yeah, I get a lot of feeling of pride for that. Um, but yes, I am proud of the book. Thank you, Jeff. I'm proud that you're proud. I am very proud of you, mate. <laughs> We're waffling now. So I hope you get it. I hope you like it. Um, and it's got great forwards by Danny Mills, former England international and Premier League player, and Andy Reid, former Republic of Ireland international and Premier League player. So two friends of mine that I was at Charlton Athletic with many, many years ago have had a look at the book and done some nice forwards for me. So we'll leave it there, Jeff. Don't forget to sign off, Pez. I shall not. Because you never should forget that football isn't that important, but children are. And we will see you next time.